take a little nap in the afternoon, you'd be good to go. <laughs> I found that out now. You know, I didn't used to do that, but I, I've come into some truth as I, I got a little older. And sometimes just a little nap really helps you out. <laughs> yeah, and so um, go with us if you can. And we'll have a great time in the Lord. Praise the Lord. I want to let our little ones go out to their service this morning and to their teaching. And, and God bless our teachers as they take our little guys and just give them the word of the Lord. And bless their little lives. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. We have been teaching, preaching uh, for a time now. On a subject that we're going to follow up with here this morning, and we may go in a different, little bit of a different direction next Sunday, but but this Sunday uh, we want to bring a, a, a like a final sermon, or maybe call final revelation in this this process of the revelation, ongoing, proceeding revelation of Jesus Christ, and uh, so we, if you have your Bibles. As you get ready, I almost forgot a thing. I would like at the end of service, all of the men of this body, I'd like you to meet in the um, fellowship hall. Again, we did that Wednesday, and I want to talk to you again. And so if you could meet me there just directly after church, I know that really cuts into our fellowship time. And fellowship time around here is really, really like high important. We, uh, <laughs> you know. Thank you for those that came to prayer last night. I don't know when they left. You know, I just have to at some point say I'm ready to go. And uh, people just stay and they talk and they fellowship. And so it's, it's wonderful. One of the things that's really, really, really good in this body. And so after um, that, after we're done, you can go out and fellowship for a while after that. So all of our men. Thank you. God bless you. I want to turn uh, into the book of Romans. And I have got some repetitive, almost repetitive scriptures to read this morning, and it looks like about six or eight scriptures, but you're going to find a theme in these, and I didn't bring all of them that address this certain issue, uh, but I want to start Hebrews, the eighth chapter, 24th verse, and um, that 34th, I'm sorry, 34th verse. Who is he condemning? Christ is the one who has died, but rather also is raised, who also is at the right of God. At the right, every one of these inferences you're going to find hand, right hand of God. It's an inserted word, and we're going to talk about that in a, in a minute here. If you go to the book of Ephesians with me, I want to read out of the first chapter of the book of Ephesians, and it would be in the 20th verse. And it says this, which he worked in Christ in raising him from the dead, yea, he is he seated him at his right hand in the heavenlies. Verse 21, far above all principality and authority and power, and lordship, and every name being named, not only in this age, but also in the coming age. And he put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, 
which is his body, the fullness of him dwelling, filling all things in all. We've got another scripture. It's the book of Colossians, the third chapter. And if you can't follow, just look up on the board. Colossians, the third chapter, and the first verse. If then you were raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is sitting at the right of God. Now, I don't know if this one said hand. It surely did. Right hand of God. I've got some more. Go with me to the book of Hebrews, one of my favorite settings here in the first chapter, in the third verse, the book of Hebrews. The writer just absolutely, by the Spirit of God, just gives so much in a few verses here. But let's just take the third verse. Talking about him, the Lord, who being in the shining splendor of his glory and express image of his character, or, or essence rather, and upholding all things by the word of his power, having made purification for our sins through himself, he sat down on the right of the majesty on high. Hebrews, the eighth chapter, and uh, first verse. Hebrews, the 8th chapter in the first verse. Now, a summary of the things being said is, here's a summary. We have such a high priest who sat down on the right of the throne of the majesty in heaven. And then he repeats it again in the book. That's the second time, but in the book of Hebrews again in the 12th chapter. Go with me to the 12th chapter, and there we'll read the second verse. And looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who, became, who because of the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down in the right of the throne of God. I've got just one final scripture, and somebody said, hey, man, we can, now we can go to sleep. This be found in the book of 1 Peter and the third chapter. It's the 22nd verse. 1 Peter, the third chapter and the 22nd verse. Just the verse before mentions the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who going into heaven is at the right of God. The angels and authorities and powers being subjected to him. Wow. Coming from Peter, who knew the Lord in the flesh, but now has a revelation in the Spirit. So, Lord, we just pray this morning, God, that your word will just cut into our hearts. Lord, and you would just minister. God, for all people at all times, everywhere, that that your revelation would just continue in our spirit. Lord, that you would over and over reveal yourself to us. Show us your glory, Lord. I think of Moses early on, way back on Sinai. God, show us, show us your glory. 
Lord, we ask you this morning, just become so much more real and so much more, God, meaningful in every way to us. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. To our knowledge, this is as far as the revelation of Jesus Christ goes. This is the end of what we would call progressive revelation in the man, Christ Jesus. In the person body, Christ Jesus. He sits down. And I believe that would infer, infer that he's done. Completely finished with the task at hand. And I like the Greek uh, wording here, and it talks about in all of these scriptures, but a few of them says it this way. He sat down, and, and this is the Greek, indexia tau theau. Meaning simply that he sets down in right of God. In right of God. These scriptures have been taken largely to separate God. They've been taken largely to establish personalities of God. But really I'm going to try and sew this together this morning that, that Jesus is not one person and God is another. But God is expressed in the person of Jesus Christ. That he is the only expressed image of an otherwise invisible God. And this, this right that he has, the word dexia, actually, it does, it does typically mean the right side or the right hand. And that's what it typically would mean. And so if you look at uh, somebody and you're to their right, that would, that would typically mean the dexia, the Greek text would teach it that way that it is right. But the implication in the scripture is not about just the right. If there were two thrones and one big God set on one throne and, and then another smaller God, the Son, sat on another throne, then there would be two gods that would be tangible, that would be finite, that would be physical, that would be material in some way. If the big God, what we want to call God the Father, were separate from the Son, then we would have a God who also is tangible, who has hands, and that this Savior, when he ascended into heaven, sat down at the right hand of God. And so you have a picture of two gods. There's one who is an old man. He's sitting on a very large throne. And, and then there is another of a, of a physical Jesus body man who is sitting on a secondary throne. And I'm going to have to dissolve that for you this morning because that vision of God is completely uh, a, a reverse, if you would, of what God is trying to show in Christ Jesus. There, there is no right in God. Let me tell you about 
him being infinite is that an infinite has no bearing of left, right, up, down, uh, whether it is behind or in front. Infinite doesn't deal with that. Infinite is everywhere. That's why David said, I see you if I ascend into them, make my bed in hell, you are there. If I go to uh, as far as I can go to the east and take the wings of the morning to the west, you are there. There is no possible way of getting behind God or in front of him or on his left or on his right because he is everywhere all the time, everything, infinite. He is not one that we can describe in a human body. A mistake of seeing Adam in the garden is that God was a man in heaven and copied the man out of heaven, the likeness of God, and put him in the earth and we see God as a man in heaven, and then, then Christ being born goes back to heaven. We have, we have two gods in heaven, or two men in heaven. And I dispel that this morning because really the, you, you begin to see when you, when you understand what God's trying to say here about the right, it's really not right side or left side. It's right in position. There's a rightful position. And it's not to my right or to my left, but it's positional wise. And so Jesus said that the king would say to them, Come ye blessed of the Father and inherit the kingdom. And where were they? They were on the right side. But if you're on my right side and I turn around, now you're on my left side. And so I don't really think it's about being on the particular side of a person or the side of God. We say, who is on the Lord's side this morning? So, well, I'm on his side. I'm on his right side. Well, who is on the side of the Lord? It's a position in which we take. And positionally, Jesus says to the Jews when they have him in trial and a high priest is talking to him, he says, now you will see the Son of Man sitting out of the right of power of God. He doesn't come down sitting on the right side of something, but he is in the right of the power of God. Can the church say amen? And so I was asked this question years ago, and let me just say it again for those who haven't heard this. Somebody asked me when I was uh, teaching a class and talking about some of these issues and, and asked me, where is the body of Jesus? And I wasn't prepared for that question, and so I had to study and find out what in the world? I, I'd never thought about that. Sure, we know that he ascended. We, he ascended on high. Can you say amen? He's above every name that is named. He's above principality and power. But where exactly is he? And I found him in John 1.18. In the bosom of the Father, the progenitor of all things. Let me describe it to you this way. All that became God tangibly is set in the bosom the middle, the center of all 
that he is intangibly. In other words, God demonstrated himself in flesh. He came down in the body of Jesus Christ. He ascended into glory, but is he sitting somewhere else? No, he is in the very center and the bosom of everything that his father, the progenitor of all things, has caused to be there is the Lord Jesus Christ right in the heart of that thing. You can't get any closer than being in the bosom. It's a term that means you're as close as you can get. And Jesus, his body is enveloped in the presence of almighty God around him, through him, in him. He is the center of all things. Can the church say amen? Jesus is the center of all things. And all dispensation and all things will be summed up and headed up in Christ Jesus. Ephesians, the first chapter. But he said, well, he's in heaven. And again, I repeat. I don't know how often I repeat it, but I repeat it again. I was in New York. We were in Brooklyn Tabernacle. I love Brooklyn Tabernacle. I love their choir. Pastor got up that morning and said, Jesus won't be here this morning. I said, well, it's about time for me to go. But I stayed. And it was a good service. But his point was that Jesus won't be here. Jesus, Jesus will be in heaven this morning. And really, so I think about that, and technically, the body that was resurrected may not be walking. But really, I don't know either because he came into the room where they were after he ascended, and he didn't use the door. And he appeared where they were. And I would say this morning that possibly the Lord himself is walking up and down in this place. You don't see him in a physical form, but he's here this morning by his spirit. The Lord is always meeting with his congregated people by his spirit presence that is here this morning. Can the church say an amen to that? I don't want to be here if he's not going to be here. And then somebody said, well, he's in heaven. So what I need for you to do is tell me where heaven is. Theologians, some have got it figured out. And I might be wrong on the billions of miles here, but let's just say 75 billion miles through the black hole. Heaven out there. I don't really believe that this morning. I believe that heaven is another dimension. I believe there are angels about us this morning. And Elijah said, God, open my servant's eyes. He can't see what's around us. And immediately, God opened his eyes and he saw the heavenly host and he saw the angels of God about them. And, and what he didn't see, what he didn't know, didn't mean that it wasn't there. I believe the angels of God are around about us. Can you say amen? I believe that, that heaven is not a million miles away, but heaven is just simply another dimension. That's why, Brother Bill, when your wife 
Just a few weeks ago, she left this body. She didn't go 40 jillion miles away. She stepped into another dimension, and she is in the heavenly now. She is worshiping the Lord. She's there. We don't know just exactly what that looks like. We don't know what throne looks like. But I love this song that they sing. It said, our loved ones that have died in Christ, they're somewhere around the throne of God. I don't know what that looks like, but I know that they are there because Jesus is there and they belong to him and where he is, they will be and so they are there with him together in the heavenly. That's an awesome, awesome thought. I've preached a lot of going away services. I have... I have labored in that, and people often wonder, where's my loved one at? And I'm going to tell you, if they died in Christ, they're around his throne. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? What a hope. What a hope that we have living in Christ Jesus. I'll tell you what. People that have no hope, I just don't know. I don't know where they think they're going, where they're headed. But I'm glad we've got one who ascended on high. Ephesians, the fourth chapter and the tenth verse, let me read another verse for you. The one having descended himself is also the one having ascended on high above all the heavens that he might fill all things. I want to show you a picture of Christ in full revelation this morning. That he's not one who's cowering down. He's not one who just was some sort of missionary to the earth. But I want to tell you about him. He fills all things. Not some things, not part things. Well, you know, he's dominant in some areas, but in other areas, we don't know. No, he fills all things. It said that he might fill, and that word fill there also, it means to accomplish, to finish, to complete, to fill it up, to fill all things. He has succeeded. He has accomplished what he intended to do. We can go back in the book of Isaiah. And God said, I send my word, and my word goes out, and it accomplishes what I have sent it to do. It does not return unto me void. And this would be a picture of what God did in Christ Jesus. There was nothing left that needed to be done. There was no stone that was unturned. There was no evil that was not dealt with. There was no sickness that didn't come under domination of Jesus Christ. Even death, even the powers of the grave could not stand against the power of Jesus Christ and our hope is is that he fills all things and because he fills all things I believe his word this morning I believe his word this morning so this progressive revelation in Jesus Christ is from start to finish we were just in the book of Hebrews the 12th chapter He's the author and the finisher, the archegon, one who, who began it, but then he leads it on to completion. So progressive revelation starts 
at his birth, all those who have prophesied about him are to the time of his birth, to the time when God would reveal himself, where he would, like Isaiah said, a virgin shall conceive an immaculation of, of God's mighty power. And at his birth, even the conception of his birth, there is this revelation that finishes up what happened in the Old Testament. And, and as he grows and as he lives and as he comes to baptism, and we've talked about this several times, and there he is anointed. There his ministry will start. There he will, he will do what, what the works of God are until the point up until his death. And then at his death, there is a kingly coronation of him. And that is until or unto his resurrection from death and his ascension on high. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. The whole package, the whole package is Yeshua HaMashiach. The whole package with God instituted, which God brought to pass, which God finished, which God completed, which God caused to ascend to high. It is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, this morning. The grave could not hold him. We sing a song, death could not hold him. The grave could not hold If the grave can hold him, then he can't complete the fullness. If the grave holds him, he is not the Lord God of heaven. He said, I lay my life down and I pick it back up again. I will rise again. I don't know what you think about him when you put him in the tomb. I don't know what you think about him on the first day and then goes over into the second day. I don't know what you think about him then. And I don't know what you think about him the third day, maybe. And the Jews said, went to Pilate and said, we've got to put extra forces out here and we've got to get an army people out here so, so they don't steal his body away. Then they can claim that he rose again. But listen, my friend, our faith, Paul said our faith is secured in one thing that Jesus died he went to the grave but he rose again out of the grave according to his word I will rise again now you can park the whole Roman army over his grave you can situate them there to where there isn't a possible escape of any kind. But if they did that, and I believe they had quite a few that were there. A centurion was there, which represents a hundred, so they probably had a hundred soldiers there. And then the Jews had also sent out the temple guard, and, and they, they're going to stop. They're going to prevent this Jesus Christ from coming back again. They finally put him down. They finally got him in a grave. And now they're going to stomp him out. And he can't come back again. But something happened on the third day. There was an earthquake. There was an angel that dropped down out of the heavenly. Came forth from the heavenly into the earthly. Rolled the stone back and sat on the stone. And it wasn't so that Jesus could get out. It was so that they could look in and see he's not here. He is alive. He's alive 
alive. He has risen again from the dead. And by supernatural power that was infused into the corpse that lay dead there, the natural body was lying in state until the Spirit of God, which breathed him into Mary's womb, looked into that tomb again and breathed into that body the same breath of life. And that body stood up empowered by resurrection and he did rise again. Can the church say amen? He's not only alive, but he's alive forevermore. He who was dead. It looked like a lot of songs been written about it. It looked like the devil won. It looked like he had put him down. It looked like he was finished. The Jews thought he was finished. Rome thought he was finished. The known world thought he was done and over with. But what they didn't know could not stop him from his word. Can you say amen? I believe that the devil did have some insight, and his greatest fear is that Jesus would rise again. You talk about the destruction of his power and of his kingdom when Jesus comes out of that grave and he's got the keys of death and hell and the grave with him. He has taken all dominion. No wonder it says he's over all power, over all principality, over all might in the earth and in the heaven. He fills all things in all. Can you say amen? He becomes. The first fruit of resurrection. It's so perfect that that God would look at humanity and that He would say to humanity, I'm going to be as you, I'm going to feel as you feel. And he was tempted and tested in humanity and in body. But God says, I'm going to taste it all. I am going to experience what humanity is about. And because he did that, we don't have a God who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities this morning. We don't have a God who's high off somewhere and doesn't know what it feels like. There was an old doctrine, they called it patripassianism, that said that God really cannot feel pain, that God really doesn't know what suffering is about. He really doesn't know what rejection is about. It just, it, that's, that's empty from him. He can't feel that. But I'm telling you this morning that God in Christ can feel everything. He knows what it is to hunger. He knows what it is to thirst. He knows what it is to be rejected of friends. He knows what it is to be despised and rejected of man. He knows what it feels like to go to death, to hang on a cross in agony and fear and and all the anxiety that is in that. He knows what it's all about. But thank God it doesn't stop there. Thank God the revelation of Jesus Christ doesn't end there. But he raises again and he comes to power and he knows what you're going through this morning, my friend. You can't get in a problem that he doesn't know about. 
You can't get in a dilemma in your life that he doesn't have experience in. One of the most fearful, dreadful things that we'll ever deal with is death. We don't understand it. We don't. We can't make sense of it. We have our loved one one day. The next day we don't have them anymore. There is no fixing that. You will have a hole where that loved one was. It just is no fix for that. But our Jesus Christ, who knew what death was about, is able to console us so that maybe that hurt never leaves, but we know how to deal with it because Jesus Christ knows how to deal with death. And he went down, and he went down in death, but he became the first fruit of resurrection. And that means to me, he was number one. He was the first, but there's a lot to follow him. He made many brothers able to come into the kingdom because of his death. He, we follow him in death. See, you're not getting out of this place alive. There's something going to happen. Even if you're here at the last trump, this body, this human body, corruptible body will take on incorruption and in a moment in the twinkling of an eye you will taste death briefly but you will be ascended into the presence of God see you'll never come into resurrection until you come into death and Paul says I, he said I, I, I count all things as loss that I might experience something that I might know him in the power of his resurrection. Paul can't know him in the power of his resurrection as long as he's alive. Resurrection happens to the dead. And thank God we're not going to the grave like a dirty dog. That it's just over and gone and done with. When you think about humanity, you think about the distance of time Thousands of years, billions of people have gone. There's nobody that survived. Nobody's made it. I think the oldest person in the world is like 120 or so. That's a long, long life. We see that as a long life. It's just a bleep on the screen. When you're talking about eternity, it's 70, 80, 90, 100 years. Is just a moment of time. We're all going there. We're going to the grave. I'm not looking forward to going to the grave, are you? I don't want to go to the grave. But I do know this, when I lay down and I lay my head down, that it's not the end. Just like the Lord, when he laid down, it wasn't the end. There's yet another revelation that's going to happen in his life. And friend, after you die, there's another revelation waiting for you. You will be as he is. You will obtain a body, a spiritual body like unto his. And I don't know all about that, but I just know as he is, we shall be, can the church say amen? Don't touch me, Jesus says. Uh, what's that guy? Uh, 
Can't touch me. Da, 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 da. <laughs> hammer. Hammer. He didn't make that up. He must have been reading the Bible there somewhere. Jesus said, don't touch me. But it's for, it's, for, it's a purpose. It's, it's not, he didn't say that, you know, in passing. Don't touch me. He resurrects out of the grave. And Mary is there. I believe it could have been other brothers and sisters too. I don't believe Mary was this chosen one that got to, you know, be the first one to carry the message. And, and she was, but that was because she was there. If the others had gone out with her, they would have experienced the same thing. But Mary's there. She sees the angel. She's frightened. She's looking in the tomb. She's weeping now. What have they done with my Lord? They took him. The angel says, oh, no, he's not here. He's risen. And now she begins to back off and walk away. And, and she sees the one who she thinks is the gardener. And she says, what have they done with my Lord? I'll come and get him. I'll, t I'll take his body. And what she supposes to be the gardener, Mary. And it's the Lord. Wow. You want to talk about a, a change of hope. <laughs> Someone that's crying their heart out in sorrow and then, <laughs> it's you. It's like her whole, you talk about a rush of emotion. I mean, doesn't the Lord do that for us sometimes? You're down, you're crying, you're hurting, you're, you're wondering, and then all of a sudden, man, the Spirit of God and Jesus say, it's me, I'm here. And all of a sudden, everything begins, you know, to get in right perspective for us. And, and But Mary now, see, Mary is going to worship him like she always did. They say, we don't have, you know, scriptural proof of it, but Luke 7 tells the story of a woman who came to Jesus. He was at uh, one of the Pharisees' houses. And so there's another story that's close to it, and that was Mary um, who was at Lazarus' house in the story at the supper that Jesus had with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and she broke uh, the anointing oil and, and, his, and, and you know, and washed his feet with her, with her tears. And Well, that happened two times. And then in Luke 7, he's at a Pharisee's house. And they believe that this woman was Mary Magdalene. Jesus delivered her from seven devils. Seven devils. Wow. I wonder why the scripture put seven in there, you know. Just, it was a miracle. Some people get delivered from one devil and they keep the other six, you know. <laughs> Now, Mary, you know, let's get rid of all of them. And, and, so, and, and so she worships Jesus in this way. And, and so I see her now and the gardener. And the gardener says, Mary, oh, it's Jesus. And she falls down and is ready to worship him just like she always did. Take his feet. She loved him. Love his feet. Just hold on to him just to touch him. Be able to physically touch Jesus. You imagine just what it felt like to 
be with the Lord when he was in flesh. I mean, the disciples, I'm sure, looked back and said so many times, oh, John said it, you know. In the first chapter of his first epistle, he said the word of life. He said we, we touched him. We handled him with our hands. We, we hugged his neck. We were close to him. John was laying over on him at the Last Supper, and just they just wanted to be by him and with him. And but as preceding revelation goes, you go from one dimension to another, and Jesus is not going to stay in the flesh. Paul, looking back, said. Those of you in the church who knew him by the flesh because there were some still there, he said, we don't know him that way any longer. It's a change. Revelation brings change in your life. I don't know if you follow me in that. Just, does it change who Jesus is? Does it change his character, his person? No, what Revelation does is open up his character and person to you. Because what I thought I knew in him, God reveals something else. It doesn't do away with what I knew, but it amplifies and brings to more focus and glory what I already knew. And this is the process of revelation. So Mary is caught in the middle of this. She's out at Jesus' feet. I believe I could visualize her being at the Lord's feet. She's going to worship just like she always did. Jesus said, don't touch me. Because that's over. I haven't ascended yet. But when he ascends, she will never see him again. And he will appear unto the disciples, apostles, for 40 days. And they will never see him again. Because we're talking about another revelation. Listen, I want to tell you about Jesus. And I'm so glad about that this morning. I'm so glad about us, the people of the Lord that worship him. Because if he was in only in one place at one time, we may never get to see him. There's a whole bunch of churches around this world. And he's traveling from church to church. And, and he's going to be with them this morning. The next morning, he's going to be with somebody else. No, 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 Jesus is going to do a greater thing than that. And so when he goes in progressive revelation, it's not going to be one guy in one place at one time. I will return unto you. But I'm not returning unto you in a single type manifestation form. But I'm returning to you in my spirit. And I can be here and I can be in Mexico this morning. And at the same time, I can be across town this morning. And I can fill that place full of my glory. And I can come over to this church where the brethren are worshiping and fill this place with my glory. Because I'm not going to be confined to a single entity body any longer. Mary, don't touch me in this no more. Don't worship me in this no more because I ascend to a higher place and a more glorious manifestation of who he is. Can you say amen? In progressive revelation of the Lord, the latter is always greater than the former. Now I know people that have regressed. 
they've sat in church long enough that they're going full circle. They started down here with the simple revelation of the Lord, and they kind of got to some places, but then they've looped all the way back down and around and never did really follow that flow of understanding and wisdom growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and got back to where they are such children again. And there's nobody here like that. I don't mean to. You know. Yes, there is. <laughs> we become children to enter the kingdom, right? Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Jesus said, you must enter this kingdom as a child. But then Paul comes along and says, well, it is a high time to put the bottle up. We've been drinking milk. And now let's go on to some meat in our life. And what he's talking about is growing from glory to glory, revelation to revelation in Christ Jesus. And let me just, let me just say this in your life this morning. Let me speak into you just for a moment. That, that if, you're, if you're staying at the same place, I'm not saying that's a bad place. That, that might be a really good place. But God has always got more for you. He's always got growth for your life. Never do we get in the place of a Christian life that we quit growing. I never did. And I'm still growing. I noticed that I'm growing. And I'm not sure I want to grow where I'm growing. But as human beings, we start small. We grow. We turn into teenagers. We think we know what, everything that's going on. We get up to 20, 25 years old, the strength of our life. Up to 30, you know, we are just conquerors of the world. We get into our 40s and we realize we are not conquerors of the world. We get into our 50s and we're wondering if we're going to make it to 60. And then, you know, I'll just leave it there. I've, I've, I've gone beyond that plateau, so... But we get in our Christian life, and we're still pulling out precious promises, you know, and just really haven't gone any deeper than that. And what I would encourage you this morning, keep growing in the Lord. Keep growing. Keep growing. It's awesome. It's awesome for us to grow in the Lord. Don't touch me. And what he means by that, he uses this word hapto. It says, that word means to touch someone in, someone in a way that will alter them. We don't do that. I, I'm going to ascend into the heavenly. And uh, so that what you thought was perfect and set, a lot of times the Lord will just come by and say, no, I, I, I want to supersede that a little bit. I want to supersede it a little bit. Let me talk to you just a minute. What time is it? Oh, we've got a few minutes. Um that he might fill all things, that he might fill all things. Listen, Aristotle made this observation, and when I say this, you'll recognize it. The whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Now, if you've been to school, you know, somebody said, I was homeschooled, and I never heard that. <laughs> but you'll come across it in a book somewhere. The whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Well, what does that mean? I mean, wouldn't you just putting all the parts together? It's, it's, it means this, that a full expression is greater than any part expression. 
even though it's part of the whole, you don't get the full expression with a part. Do you understand what I mean? You may see a part, of, let's say, of a car, an automobile. And let's say you're looking online, and boy, that looks good. That's, but please don't buy a car without seeing it. Because you didn't see the other side where the gouge and the scratch. and the, You saw part of it. But the whole which God has put together is what I like to call a full disclosure. Paul said this. He said, we know in part, we see in part, um, and it's great things that we see, but then there will come a time when we will understand completely fully. When I was a child, I thought as a child, I acted as a child, but when I grew up, I put off childish things. He's talking about the progression of you see in Christ. We see him in part. We see him in peace. It's hard for us to see the whole panorama of who he is. And so we know in part and we see in part, but we press to the whole. Because in the case of God in Jesus Christ, every part is equal. His birth, his life, his baptism, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, his glorification, each one of these is an equal part to who he is. But I don't just want to know just his birth. I don't want to know just his life, just his ministry. I, I don't want to know just his death. I don't want to know just parts and pieces, but I want the whole thing put together so I'll see him in total, full exposure of who he is. That's what I'm driving to, and that's what Paul says, oh, that I might know him. I want to see him clearly in who he is. I want to know what Jesus did. I want to know how he acted. I want to know his character. But I also want to know the full of all that he is and comprehend the height and the depth and the width of who he is, the love of God in Christ Jesus. Can I say amen to that? So every part of him is essential to understand the whole. How many of you own a Bible? I'm not talking about a computer. I'm talking about a Bible. <laughs> and that's okay. I read on a computer too. So, How many writers are there? Oops, I forgot to figure it out. Does anybody know how many writers there are of the Bible? How many? He thinks 37. Four, 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 four. Can we get I don't know how many writers there are, but there's a lot. Let's just say there's a lot, okay? Why do we need that many writers? Well, just one would be good, right? We got four Gospels. Why? What was the final answer? 35 writers. Men of God. Men of God. Thank you. You looked in your Bible, right? No, you looked on your computer. Every one of them a man of God. And what are they doing? 
We just need Moses. In fact, that's where the Jews stopped. They said, we just need Moses. That's it. We don't need to go any further than Moses. We'll just stop right there. And there was a revelation there. It was the law. They just didn't go on to the lawgiver. So out of these writers, what are they doing? They're revealing unto us the Old Testament little by little prophecy. And it's not only that we can see him now, but we can look back and see, hey, this is the one that God had ordained. This is the establishment of, of the prophetic word of God. And it's true, and it comes true in Christ Jesus. But we have all of these writers because they all add to the whole. So I knew a guy that got mad at Ezekiel. I don't know why, but he took a razor blade out and he cut out things he didn't like. Well, I had to agree with him. I, there's some things in Ezekiel I don't understand, but I'm not going to take out the razor blade and cut them out. He understood some things I don't know. Okay, well, I didn't understand his, all of his prophetic word. But he has got some things in there that are going to elevate us in our knowledge of Christ. And you take all the writers, all the prophets, there's always this, this foregoing, this, this progression of Christ in their writing. And everything that's written in there is just, it's for the edification. All Scripture is given of God. All Scripture is God-breathed. And, and it's there for a purpose. It's there to make the man of God something that he needs to be. It's there for edification. It's there for correction. Everything that God wrote in there, it's for knowledge. It's for wisdom. It's everything that God designed and desired for for us to understand is in these words that he has written and given to us and it's not short of anything. It fills all in all and God has revealed it to us by his spirit. Each one adding to the whole. And so when it's all said and done, Jesus Christ was and is all the fullness of God manifested to humanity. He's all the fullness. Somebody said, I heard him, you know. Well, we're going to. Enough of Jesus. Let's get on to spirit, man. Let's get, they have no idea what they're saying. I don't know what spirit you're of, but if you're not of Christ, you're none of his. <laughs> we got the spirit of Christ in us. Can you say Amen. Sister Debbie, Brother Tom, would you come? Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Oh, God, we honor you, Lord. You're the highest of the high and the greatest of the great, Lord. We value, Lord, the revelation of who Jesus Christ is in this church and in this body. Lord, we believe you to be first and foremost over the church and over all things, Lord. And I worship only at the feet of Jesus. Can you do that one? I worship only at the feet of Jesus this morning. Amen. Hasn't it been good talking about the Lord? Oh, it's been good, you know. It's been good. I love you, Jesus. I worship.